You are listening to Taking Art Apart, a podcast presented by West Den Haag. I am Rosa Sangenberg, visual artist and writer. I am Jael Keiser, philosopher and writer. We are launching an experimental series of themes that one may come across when stepping into the art world, whether as a young artist, established institution or curious viewer. In this episode, we examine the material, the matter that gives shapes to the objects we define as art. Traditionally, we associate art with a physical object, an entity that can be hung, placed, or simply touched. But more and more, the requirement for something physical seems to become irrelevant in the art world. Firstly, digital art challenges this drastically and has done so for decades already. Secondly, performance art has changed the concept of an object as opposed to the maker forever. So indeed, what makes something an artwork? Is it the touch of the artist on whatever the artist may touch? Lately, this assumed irrelevance of the physical object has become even more irrelevant with the rise of the NFT, the non-fungible token. Yet we still long for something physical, whether being clay or human bodies, Will the art world ever allow for the concept of the physical to disappear completely? Even in spite of the times and the obvious convenience of making everything digital. So I'm going to tell you a little story about my fire extinguisher collection. And also about something that happened with them during the building up of uh, an installation I did in December 2021. And at that point, I had 175 fire extinguishers. And so I decided to hang them on the wall. And it's really easy to forget how much work this was, since each fire extinguisher has a different way of hanging. Uh, Some have a different hook. Some don't even have a hook. Uh, And some can be up to 20 kilos. So this was a very intense job. And thanks to my friends... Jan, Julia, Oliver, you were great. Otherwise, I really couldn't have done this. And I don't know if I would recommend using these objects, actually. Since they, this physical part is very dominant, they, they're really dominant. Not only in color or in anything, it's also physically the transport, the storage, and also hanging at them. Like I said, it's just a very... At some point, you just really have to challenge yourself to work with these things and I really like that and I also like to keep on thinking about new ways of working with them and kind of find solutions to work with them and it's I, I guess I, I enjoy this this not being in control of the material sometimes I think that's also challenging me and it motivates me to keep on working with them And all of my fire extinguishers were already used uh, or they're too old, so they're disapproved. And at the same time, you need to have fire extinguishers that are approved. And they have to be in a fixed position and they also have to be visible. So they have to fulfill this fire safety regulations. So that's where it becomes quite confusing since somebody, I don't know who it was, put an approved fire extinguisher 
next to my yeah collection, which was still on the floor while I was building up. So I hanged one of the approved ones hidden in my collection. So if there is a fire, it could become a very dangerous, extremely dangerous game. I call it yeah, I call it a game because I think that it, I, you could compare it to a Russian roulette where it's like a Russian roulette with fire extinguishers where you need to choose, oh, which fire extinguisher am I going to get? There's a fire you need to make these quick choices. And so yeah, this this was already quite an interesting mystique part behind the fire extinguishers. So I decided to keep the approved fire extinguisher in my installation. And then another crazy situation occurred where just before the opening, another or the same anonymous person decided to pull the lever of one of my fire extinguishers. And I came in and the whole black room, the floor was covered in white powder. And I know that some people might like uh, white powder at some point, but in this case it wasn't really suitable. So I don't know what this anonymous person wanted to say to me, but there's no other way to let me know that you don't like my work. We might be aware of the mediums that constitutes the arts, but are the mediums aware of us? In this little anecdote that you just heard, artist Lotus Royagas introduces her current main medium, its possibilities, restrictions, use and conventions. For the next couple of minutes, Ayael would like to give a lecture on the power of the material. I'm personally inspired by art critic and writer John Berger, who I believe tries to democratize art by breaking down developments of art history and phenomena like the nude painting into its value for today. Rather than taking for granted the artist's agency towards their material of choice, can we propose this relationship is interdependent? You might have heard about Berger's thought-provoking collection of essays in Ways of Seeing from 1972. In these essays, he goes into the impact of perception and the development of mediums, such as photography, on our appreciation of art from the past. A large part of seeing depends upon habit and conventions. For example, the technique of using perspective is the center of European art, and in some ways this determined how we saw things from then on. And everything changed with the invention of the camera. We could now see things which were not there in front of us and from perspectives less accessible to eye and body. You will now hear a fragment from a manifesto written in 1923 by Russian film director Giga Vertov. I am an eye, a mechanical eye. I, the machine, show you a world the way only I can see it. I free myself for today and forever from human immobility. I am in constant movement. I approach and pull away from objects. I creep under them. I move alongside a running horse's mouth. I fall and rise with the falling and rising bodies. 
This is I, the machine maneuvering in the chaotic movements, recording one movie after another in the most compelling combinations. Freed from the boundaries of time and space, I coordinate any and all points of the universe wherein I want them to be. My way leads towards the creation of a fresh perception of the world. Thus I explain in a new way the world unknown to you. The invention of the camera has changed not only what we can see, but how we see it. Also retrospectively, we now view history through the lens of the present, and it has changed how we view paintings that were painted long before. We can now see the Mona Lisa through a picture or print it on regular A4 paper and hang it in our living spaces. Now my question is, are these images any less real? The reproductive quality of the camera has questioned the integral elements to an artwork, namely its material, medium, uniqueness and value. We can see this in the development of digital art as well. The meaning of a work is now transmittable and comes to you like the news of an event or spectacle. In some ways, art in the digital era is more like information or the transference of ideas that are not necessarily linked to an object of cash value or aesthetics. The medium is the message is a memorable expression that pops up ever so often in discussions on the effect of media, and it was coined by Canadian philosopher and media theorist Marshall McLuhan. This nearly 60-year-old slogan seems to have predicted the growing importance of becoming aware of the mediums and their fast networks of influence on our ways of thinking and scientific reasoning. During multiple ongoing crises, natural, political, existential or viral, we have found ourselves increasingly dependent on information and connection. The digital medium of the internet reigns supreme. Work meetings, hangouts, lectures, even sermons have moved onto virtual platforms in a seemingly smooth manner when we needed it, despite some glitches in Wi-Fi issues. Alas, while offering new ways of connecting with each other, and with creativity running high and fast, we might not or might not be able to stand still to reflect on the bigger implications. What is the background of this process of conversion to an almost total digitalization of our life? Who is in charge of it and how are we shaped by them? And also, how can we shape the world through them freely? Perhaps it doesn't make sense anymore to rationally criticize or analyze our condition. And also art might have been sublimated into the production of cyber society and calculable probabilities. New mediums generate new environments, like the TV became a new window through which we can see the world pass by. As we engage differently with different kinds of mediums and images, we are at the same time limited by their possible uses. The mediums already delineate how we perceive and use them merely already by having a different purpose. For instance, paintings or sculptures were in the past and often still are mostly made iconographically. That means the artist chose the subject matter with agency and to express or refer to something else. Could the same be said about photographs? 
Czech media philosopher Willem Flusser writes in his 1985 book Into the Universe of Technical Images about the promise and threat of this technological development in media. Photographs are not made by people, pixel by pixel. Rather, it is shot by an apparatus which has an operating function. The objects in the image are not created with an artist's agency and so the element of intentional iconography diminishes. A picture, rather, shows a situation where cause and effect come in to find meaning. It guides the eye to think of fire when there is a picture of smoke. Naturally, this is often looked at as if it were an icon, and it doesn't take away that a technical picture isn't able to move a viewer as well. What lies close to this type of image is then the interactive digital image, which is more than a snapshot picture. These are the type of images that you can change, program, or choose to close the window of on your desktop. It entails an interface with a flexible structure where the viewer is not given an icon to passively consume, rather they become affordances, meaning that the images signify what you can do with them instead of what they mean. The viewer now becomes a user. If we connect this idea to the case of new media art, the question remains whether this two-way medium can add more engagement between art, artist and viewer, because how we interpret a work might inevitably resort back to traditional imagery. After all, the way we visualize ideas and make them into works of art is conditioned by the development of technology and the medium through which we're used to express the world. And besides, is a supposedly interactive digital image like the home screen of an iPhone really that open-ended? Taking this in mind, to what extent is art now still a contribution to cultural production if it is so easily reproduced, anonymized, appropriated and consumed? What are we doing or funding it all for? McLuhan, whom I mentioned earlier, proposed a research path towards what's called a media ecology. This would allow us to preserve the techniques we still need from the past, such as critical reasoning and literacy, and allowing these to take on new purposes and roles within this user society. My eye seems to be less I than I thought it was. It grew into we. I tried to grasp it, control it, shape it, transform it, to realize I was the one being and becoming grasped, controlled, shaped transformed, created anew by a mutual touch. I wonder, is it possible to be without becoming when our body is what we take in? 
when the touch I gave was the one I contained, and the touch I contained was the one I gained. When our body is embodied yet embedded in the orderly, each touch, grasp, shape shift, an explosion of previous form, is it possible that I find myself destroying to create? And by creating to touch and contain, one touch on the other may, might, was, or maybe, is a touch upon oneself. Our skin seems to be a carrier bag, carrying touches, carrying traces. Our skin as a carrier bag of the orderly, a lifetime carrying others, a lifetime being, becoming the orderly. Young artist Cecilia Fang takes media ecology to the next level. Humans are shaped by their environment through a so-called planetary metabolism. Our bodies are codependent on the world, becoming what we are in, touching and breathing. Maker, material and form are mutually connected. The urgency of a media ecology awareness is more present than ever, and perhaps the rise of the NFT can justify this. Functioning as its own ecosystem, the connection between the medium and the receiver has to be taken care of in every sense. This can be the case for more or less every kind of medium we consider, but it especially applies to the function of the NFT. NFT is nothing without the receiver. In a sense, its entire existence depends on a receiver. A trader of some sort. Or does it? Coming up, we have a discussion between myself and the two artists Thijs Jäger and Lotus Royakas, both of whom have distinctive ideas on the NFT and its rapid infiltration into the art world, and especially the art market. Yeah, and, but it's it's uh, on the Art Academy we don't talk about it. So that's also an interesting thing, right? It's like kind of still a little bit... Uh, the concept of the NFT. Yeah. No, yeah it's not it's really spoken an, about. Uh, blasphemy or something. It's like, a, ooh, NFTs? You, you do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Better stay away from that. Hello. Um, first of all, maybe uh, you can start by introducing yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm Thijs Jäger. I'm an artist living and working in The Hague. I graduated in 2017. My work uh, involves sculpture and installation. I'm Lotus Royakers and I am also an artist. At least I'm trying to be. I'm graduating this year to enter the yeah scary uh, art world. 
and uh, work with uh, installations, performance, and paintings. I wonder if you, as young artist, have some kind of pressure to take a interest in the NFT as a as an art form. It seems to be suddenly everywhere, like online. It seems the NFT is a thing. It suddenly yeah. uh, it's a, it's. Nah, it's already old, eh? It's uh, from. But that's always right, where you have uh, something like really new. You have like the the people that that know about it right away. That's that's the people who are really on t- into it, and then you have the mainstream. And for the mainstream, I think right now it's quite it's quite it's quite new, or it's 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 still very. People are starting to find it interesting right now. They're really like, okay, so more and more people are getting into it. Maybe yeah. I should do it as well. And if lots of people feel the pressure to also join this yeah, mainstream. But I think the pressure is mostly because people see money. They think of like, oh, NFT is related to a lot of money. Because when you read about it, it's about how m- much they're worth. And not specifically uh, what they are. <laughs> I, f- I, I, f- I thought about, yeah, I thought about it. But I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to make one. I feel like very distant from it. Also, the works that are made are mostly like not really like relatable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did see some interesting stuff, uh, but I think it's not really like in the essence of what it is. Uh, because NFTs, of course, like you, it, it's, it's like an image that is put into the blockchain or video or like a digital file so it's like engraved to the one who owns it i think that's interesting that you uh i think before when somebody bought a painting the artist put their autograph on it and then it's like uh certified from or like certified from the artist but now it's like written on this data chain where this artwork is an id and uh, everybody can see where the artwork went or who it bought I think that's in, that's a very interesting thought that it's like publicly available and everybody can see it, everyone can see it and, and it's unchangeable. So that's maybe interesting. People mm-hmm. fake art, like fake artworks or they can make copies of it, but eventually you can see who really owns the image. Yeah. And, but it's, it's, uh, on the art academy, we don't talk about it. So that's also an interesting thing, right? It's like kind of. Still a little bit uh, the concept of the NFT. Yeah, mm. no, yeah it's not it's a really bit of spoken an, about. Uh, blasphemy or something. It's like, uh, ooh, NFTs. You you do that? Ooh, <laughs> no. <laughs> mm. Better stay away that. from that. I mean, there's some <laughs> there's some people who, like I said before, that people buy a physical work and then they really like this art artist and then they say, ah, I might also buy an NFT. I yeah, was, but it's always about like. You make an NFT to sell it, right? Yeah. Some yeah. people don't. Some people, Some people really don't. don't. But like, okay, ninety-nine percent is basically about that. My friend is making NFTs. He's really every day working on digital work, and uh, he says that when you want to really be onto this, into it, and everything, you need to be very active on Twitter. Yeah, you need to post every day. You need to say good morning, good night, uh, or not ev or well every day, <laughs> but like maybe not yeah, that detail, pe- but and not yeah. too much, but not too less. Mm-hmm. And then every day, and in this way, you get exposure. 
But I think, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you can put your NFT online, but like, people need to know that, like, it's gonna be something, or exactly. you're active, or you're interesting and enough that, to have own it. And that's where it comes down to your network. And this is also another thing, which is, I think, when you are on, when you want to sell, you need to show where you where your work is. This is kind of networking, no? This is also in real life, but that's also a taboo on the academy. Like uh, networking has such a bad yeah. connotation, which is, I think, really good on with NFTs that people kind of naturally learn to network or naturally, but mm-hmm. they know they have to be on Twitter. They know they have to do this to get exposure. There's a more of a clear protocol towards selling. You know what to expect and you know what to do to get this uh, exposure, but it takes really like hours per day to really, it's a full-time job to get, to get where you want to be. Yeah. It's, if it's, hours of the job is to just promote yourself on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, that's also quite special that being an NFT artist successfully, like half of it is just using Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, and, exactly. And, it's and it's really like and this <laughs> friend of mine, he's spending eight hours a day to be on Twitter and to make an artwork every day to post. But I think that's the difference between maybe the art world and NFT yeah. is that it's it's a way in a certain way contained. Yeah. So you make an image, you promote yourself, you try to sell it, which is like a very low uh, drempel, like a very low... Barricade to go into. It also feels a bit like an experiment still, yeah. this whole NFT. and. But we could also say like 30 years ago, museums were really against video art and like they really didn't trust to buy a video artwork because they, yeah, that was just uh, something that would pass by. But now it's so much incorporated into collections and to galleries and museums and like it's every uh, respectable museums needs to have equipment to show videos so but just some years ago it yeah, was super that's interesting like, because a video can be reproduced you know a yeah. video you can put on a recorder or like on a cd or like and now with paintings or like uh material kind of stuff it yeah, that's why it's interesting because, yeah, if I only have 200 copies, then can I never make a copy again? Or can I, yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Who's that's why... You cannot control that. You Who's cannot control it. But then the blockchain becomes interesting because it's like written down. Exactly, yeah. In this yeah. thing. And then it's like, okay, it's mm-hmm. there forever. Yeah. And everybody can see it and say like, hey, mm-hmm. that image is from him. Or there are only 20 of these and that's it. It becomes very strict. Yeah, I think always, well, maybe also in the past 40 years, like, uh, this was always a contribution, you know, or like an uh, interesting topic when, for, for instance, the Bible was getting printed instead of people rewriting every word on it. Mm-hmm. They could like, you know, press the Bible. They just started to add, uh, extra stories that were never in the Bible. They started to make, a story about uh, the Vagevuur, like hell. And like, it was never in the Bible. Then just people just said, oh, oh, now we can reproduce it. Let's uh, make it extra scary. And like, uh, people would stay in, in belief. And then it mm-hmm. becomes 
very epic and uh, they, they and I, I think that's always happens through time that like at some point we can like start to make mass production out of it then in uh, these certain rules of who owns it or what what is owning mm-hmm. it starts to shift and uh, yeah also with this blockchain that's like uh, yeah I think it's yeah in that sense interesting that it's like digitally written down which cannot be ever undone by a computers literal attachment to the artwork in, yeah and addition to the work yeah also. yeah until the moment where the whole world shuts down and then that, and then and then you know what to do yeah when, that's when also interesting gets... like but, but yeah but if like does it ever shut down yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, maybe. that when that day comes when you have to choose between the digital world and the physical world, we probably will choose the digital world. I think it's also Except always good to put things on paper. Yeah. <laughs> until, until, yeah, I mean, uh, that's interesting always. with also wallets and like because the NFT is uh, related to the wallet who owns it. And then if you lose your password, all wallets has a physical phrase key. So you have, you can always redo the password, but if you want to recover your wallet, if you really like lost everything, you have to put in certain words so that, it, or you have to write down these words because they specifically ask you, please write down your secret phrase words mm-hmm. and not keep it digital. So that you can re-enter yeah. your wallet. Well, 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 exactly. You have to write it physically. In yeah, the that's what they advise. Yeah, because these, if you if uh, you if you forget this password, you're basically so the ultimate uh, security yeah. is handwriting. Is material, still. write it down. Mm-hmm. But that's <laughs> yeah. also so interesting. <laughs> the, the fact that we always think our oh, technology is the infallible. Uh, the the only objective truth but in the end it fails to be the most secure thing so um once one thing i also wanted to uh, ask which is a bit like a general question maybe but like what is the material to you in your practice do you see the physical as an elementary aspect of fine arts or is it not really important uh in my practice uh my work goes through stages and that stage starts somewhere and then it always goes through physical and digital phases and then it ends up somewhere there in between uh, I think material is very interesting because I I went to Japan for like quite long and there and I was very interested in that they really believe in like that material has a soul. That's why they are so close to robots and like most people have like the uncanny feeling or uncanny valley with robots or like they feel it becomes too real. But in Japan, for example, they... They really feel closer to it because they believe that it really has or can have a soul. So mm. I think that's very interesting. And then I learned about Wabi Sabi. They believe in like everything that's perfect should be also imperfect. So for example, if you see a temple and everything looks perfect to this temple, but then there's like a leaf falling on it, then mm. for them it's like complete because it's like the, mm. it breaks the imper. There is no perfect, but yeah um but i was very interested in neanderthalers 
because they were in their cave and then when they come out of their cave, they see the world and then everything they see was a tool. So I think that's also uh, how I approach my work. It's like everything can be a tool. I just start to play with it and then things exist. Yeah. I mean, that's something you still need to discover, right? Yeah. You don't have uh, the answers already. Exactly. And I think that also makes it more free for you. Because if you know the, the purpose of the tool, it limits you to the the purpose. Yeah. In a way. Maybe what about you? And um, what? how do you relate to... I don't know if I can uh, <laughs> make it that, 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 that specific, but I do have, like, I find these things which might... Something I don't recognize as it being from someone else. And uh, I won't say I stole it, but it's, it's not... I actually stealing it, but it's not on purpose. Yeah, they could be on the street, found objects, and then it's more about the repetition of the object, as well. So the the quantity of it, not necessarily the quality. But then in, if it's also about the performative aspect behind the background of the artwork. So the conversation I have with the people owning these objects. For example, a fire extinguisher, uh, which I find on marked marked plaats. I go there, I speak to the people, I, I ask why they do it, why why are they selling it, uh, and uh, all the conversation I've had with um, metal recyclers who own them or the the, the fire department. Uh, so it's and that those are aspects that people don't see. They they but they can maybe visualize it behind the objects which is standing in the gallery space yeah but yeah it's it's just um yeah that's that's it then that's where i could maybe have a link from this collection physical collection of fire extinguishers to why wouldn't i just I have the photographs. Why wouldn't of each fire extinguisher? Why wouldn't I just put it online, put it on the blockchain, sell it? It's much easier looking at the physical aspect and all the the, the storage and all, everything. It would be for me very easy to just sell it uh, through NFTs. Well, uh, nobody stopped. Well, that's you. a dilemma, you know, because how, it's how why, important why? is the the physicality to you? Because if it doesn't matter, yeah, I mean it's a. Th- You're th- making a book. You said you making a book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you make NFTs out of it <laughs> instead of a book? Yeah. Save so you a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. Or you could do printing on demand. But I mean, it's also, it's it. I. That's why it's in this. You're kind of in a in a split. Like but you are thinking about it. Yes. Like yes. Doing I'm it make, make definitely. Yeah. But it's two different worlds. I mean, it's also yeah. It's like. But if rep- you if you have like hundred images of a fire extinguisher, or you have hundred real ones, that's way different, right? Definitely, but it's yeah. also it's interesting to to think about. Oh, it might it might be nice to also put it on NFT. It's not it's not. But why do you want one or the to, other to make money? Well, I mean, that's something where I think it's also for the exposure, but. Yeah, it's a good question. For the money, maybe yes, but yeah, good question. Why would I? Why would I print it? Why not just be a bit more ecological? 
and be on and uh, put it on NFTs. Well, I don't think NFTs but yeah, are that's another discussion. But that's another discussion. <laughs> and uh, if you would do this, would you then consider the pictures another work, or what would you do with the original fire extinguishers? I could uh, I could at least keep my collection together and then sell the the pictures of it. Yeah. Or or sell the pictures online on on on, the, on with NFTs, and then yeah, adding the physical fire extinguisher to the buyer. That's yeah. also something you can do because you can combine. It's just something you need to discuss before. That's what I also thought before. Like if I would make an NFT, I don't like it that it's like if you buy it, you also buy the physical work. That will be what I also was thinking of making. Yeah. Like. If somebody make bought, would buy a ceramic something and I would 3D scan it and then they have the digital file, but also the physical. But then I thought like, yeah, but if they want, because people want to trade NFTs. Mm-hmm. If someone buys my NFT, they want to sell it at some point because it's about money, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's about not owning one and doing nothing. It's about owning one and try to do something. So then the person who has bought Got the physical work also needs to send the physical work. Yeah, but it's, the, it's, uh, it's it could it's also not be always about money. It's also about really like collectors yeah. buying a work from someone they already have physically, but they see ah, this artist is also on uh, NFT. Uh, mm. Okay, let's buy a work. But I really question the integrity of this collector then, because then it really says something about this specific collector that they collect to just collect and then i also just i question the nft in this sense that like what are you gonna do with it are you gonna put it as a, you can put it as a screensaver on your computer or something but as really it's really limited what you can actually do with this mm-hmm. afterwards except from just knowing that you own it yeah and exactly like, and i think that is the only really interesting part of nft is that it's yeah. like engraved into this blockchain and then it says you are the owner so yeah, I think money or, or yeah, money and ownership is something uh, close by stuff. I mean, I, and there was something interesting in uh, way past. I think when iPhone was just there and apps, and you had to pay like um, money for WhatsApp, and then like in the, oh. around that time, there was mm-hmm. like an app uh called the jewel and it was just a rotating uh gem or like 3d made Uh gem that rotates it was costing 500 euros to download that app so someone put it on there 500 euros you can download this app it's just a rotating red (laughs) diamond yeah it was a predecessor to the nft almost yeah it was almost (laughs) like an nft and then now people you cannot download that app anymore so the app is gone and people really want to have that app again because but it's the like people super who still rare. That app might be like Midworth Million, the phone yeah. that has the app inside. But cool. there were some people who owned it. Yeah. But the, for instance, you had also this website that's also interesting. You can buy pixels on that website. One pixel was $1. So people started to buy pixels on this website and there was 1 million pixels. And within like three days, this whole website was completely sold out. It's also it's then really cool, about so. owning land. Yeah. Owning land. It's kind of... Um, but all the time, yeah. it's just like about owning. 
that's the main purpose. Maybe, maybe that's the, the conclusion. Owning for the sake of owning. Yeah, of the yeah, maybe NFT. That's the conclusion of the NFT. That's like, but yeah. I still believe that there are people who actually like, love the works they buy. Or have some. <laughs> I really hope that yeah. that is the case. Yeah, but then I still think like I can also love it without owning it or like having yeah. it. And you can also love a painting or love a sculpture you saw without owning it. Yeah. You can. Because I just go to the museum and watch it. Yeah. I wonder. Okay, but I mean that's that's the thing. That so yeah, sometimes yeah, people. No, no, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. But sometimes people also buy the work to to support the artist because they like each other yeah. because it's to support. That's always. true. I want to end it here, yeah. but thank you very much for wanting to talk and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Thank you. That was it, everyone. Special thanks to Lotus Royakas, Cecilia Fang and Thais Jera for taking part in this episode. If you want to know more about the guests and their practices, as well as extra source materials, please have a look at our description box. This podcast is made possible by Western Half. Next time, we move on from the material of art into the reception of art. It is often assumed that an artwork is never finished without its viewer. And if so, is the artist responsible for how the work is viewed? Who is really the artist? Mm-hmm.